Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 311th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcast right across the world this week from the shores of the magnificent Sydney Harbour in Australia. I'm flying to Melbourne later today to give a presentation to the ALH conference on the importance of customer service in future-proofing your business. So that'll be fun. So let me tell you about the 10 keys to staying in business. Now, the truth is that up to 95% of businesses fail for very specific reasons, and it's rarely because it's a poor product. If you don't follow certain principles and don't put customers first, the potential for failure skyrockets. And with so much demand on our time, it's easy to be caught off guard. So you need to find a really good mentor who can help you make the right decision. Somebody who's done it before, somebody who knows the territory. There's no point going out and making mistakes that hundreds of people have made before. It's expensive, it's demoralizing, and in fact, it really pisses you off. So get a mentor that can help you. The first issue is failure to deliver real value. You know, the world's most successful businesses deliver the most value. It's plain and simple. Under promise, but always over deliver, no matter what. Think of Disneyland. The wait from this point is an hour. It never is. It's probably 45 minutes. So when you get in 15 minutes earlier than you think you're going to get in, you're really excited, despite the fact that you've been waiting for 45 minutes. So always over deliver. Focus on the real value proposition. If you're not adding more value than your competition, you will lose. Secondly, make sure you understand your target audience. An inability to connect with your demographic means you're oblivious to how you can best help them. Who are they? What do they really want? Do they want to invoke a certain emotion? Do they want to attain a certain status? Do they want to achieve something in particular? So it's not just what they need. And how is your product or service going to solve whatever problems they have. The third point is a failure to optimize conversions. Without optimizing conversions, no matter what your business does, it'll be futile. You know, it's impossible to survive when the money runs dry. So you've got to ensure early on that there's a positive ROI on any ad spend. In fact, on any action. You can't rely solely on methods like SEO, although some people try to convince you that you can. Four, you need you need a an effective sales funnel, and failure to create an effective sales funnel will send you broke. And uh, building an effective funnel allows founders to grow traffic sources, or to educate consumers through webinars, etc. The sales funnel creates that relationship with the consumer, relates your story and journey while pitching the product or service. It's a soft sell 
with a real value add. And that's where the magic happens. Number five is a lack of authenticity and transparency. Businesses that lack authenticity and transparency will fail. Focus on being authentic, transparent, and finding ways you can give more rather than take. It's a rare commodity in business, but it's one that's absolutely necessary to survive. Number six, being unable to compete against market leaders. You know, if you're small, if you can't compete against the huge multinational counterparts, you need to find ways to pivot to stay in business, to take on a monster head on if your product's not discernibly different and cheaper and advantageous to the consumer, you're not going to win. So to be able to pivot takes a keen business sense and true guts. Number seven is a logical one. It's an inability to control expenses. So many companies fail because they simply run out of money. Having an acute sense to control the company's expenses is imperative. When expenses spiral or a founder uses company money for personal or frivolous expenses, the business won't survive. So don't say, oh, gee, the next 12 months looks fantastic, so I'll get that new Ferrari today. If you do, (laughs) chances are they'll repossess the Ferrari and maybe even you. Number eight. Lack of strategic and effective leadership. Most businesses lack strategic and effective leadership. Most businesses, most entrepreneurs are great at what they do, designing stuff, creating stuff, but usually they're very poor business people. And that's why businesses, big or small, they need to build up their board of seasoned advisors and founders need to find trusted mentors if you're serious about staying in business for long. Number nine is the failure to build an employee tribe. Your employee tribe and culture is critical for long-term success. Most businesses fail because they forget about their employees. When the opportunity is right, the best employees jump ship and they go somewhere where they're appreciated, often to a competitor, and you've trained them and they've got the benefit from them. And the tenth reason that businesses fail is because of a failure to create the proper business systems. You've got to put the right business systems in place. There's so much technology around now that can automate your business, both in the office and on the production line and every other element of your business. CRMs need to be implemented and customised. Policies need to be enacted. Financial audits and tracking procedures need to be creative. And without good systems and automation, again, failure. So um, and I, saw a good, I, I saw a good saying the other day. Those who say it can't be done need to get out of the way of those that are doing it. So how many times have you said, I'm going to do such and such, and somebody says, oh, that won't work, or you can't do that, or, you know, whatever. Well, tell them to piss off out of the way so that you can get past and actually do it. We talk a lot on this program about blockchain and Ethereum and and, um, Bitcoin, etc. But if you heard about the new blockchain phone, 
Siren Labs has announced that it intends to raise $100 million to fund the development of a smartphone and a PC that will run on the blockchain. They believe that the blockchain is underhyped. I do too. Despite all the publicity and promotion about blockchain, it is underhyped. All the major banks are getting into blockchain. All the major stock exchanges are getting into blockchain. And yet it's not something we hear about, but we don't hear enough about it. The startup said last Tuesday that the smartphone and the PC will secure open source consumer electronics for the new blockchain era. The yet-to-be-built devices will be able to share data, battery power and processing power with other devices, but there's one condition. These resources can only be offered in exchange for the company's SRN cryptocurrency. So they're starting their own cryptocurrency. The idea being that you share the value of your resources and get value in exchange. Of course, that gives value to their cryptocurrency, which they've presumably got a shitload of, and it will make them very wealthy, and hopefully you too along the way. So Siren Labs needs to raise about $50 million to, to, fund the, to fund the phone and $75 million to build a computer, and then it needs $25 million to uh, fund the development of the Shield OS, which they're going to use. And the new uh, cryptocurrency will be sold to investors in exchange for legal tender. So they will sell you some of their cryptocurrency in exchange for legal tender or Bitcoin. That's pretty smart. The company says that the Shield OS would be able to support a crypto wallet, encrypted communications and a P2P resource sharing ecosystem for payments and apps. If you've got cryptocurrency, make sure you've got a wallet. Um, It's a bit of a pain in the ass to set them up, but um, you should have a wallet. Don't leave your cryptocurrency sitting with the... um, um, company you bought them off so uh, set up your own separate wallet and apparently substantial numbers of people are already seeking this are in cryptocurrency i guess people want to get the um, phones and the only way to get the phones is through their cryptocurrency very smart now do you get my daily 30 second read business newsletter We've now got about 1.7 million daily subscribers and only takes you 30 seconds to read. Now, that's not quite true. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it can take you a minute and a half. But every day we tackle separate subjects. Um, we talk about advances in medicine. We talk about new apps, new technology, uh, Hyperloop, autonomous cars and blockchain. It's free and its information's invaluable. For example, last Saturday... Fantastic. I went to the Hyperloop factory in LA or in California. It is unbelievable. 860 mile an hour train floating um, on air or actually in a vacuum. It is phenomenal inside one of the one of the carriages, one of the capsules. It's um, it's really very cool, and they're the sort of things that we talk about. Um, a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do things like that. So if you don't get the newsletter, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and there's a place there to enroll. Now, I don't know whether you know much about eSports, 
but I've been watching esports for quite a while, and they are unbelievably popular. In fact, more people watch the League of Legends championship in esports than watch the NBA finals, and by a big lot. The main attraction in esports is the international Dota 2 Championship. I'm not sure what all that means, but it's the richest esports tournament in the world. The purse for the event, have a listen to this, the sixth edition of the International, the purse for the esports championship was $21 million for esports, sitting around pushing buttons. That's roughly double the total payout of the Masters Golf. And the Chinese team won this year, and they won $10 million as the grand prize. And uh, the more players enter the professional sphere, the more we see the toll this taxing lifestyle can take on the body. So you don't have to be hit by a 350-pound um, back to sustain some serious, serious injuries. That constant use of your thumbs <laughs> on the, um, whatever you call those things, the play pad or whatever it is, can do you in. And um, they, they are having some real problems with um, repetitive stress and uh, people that have to retire early because of the gaming in injuries. So there you go. But for $10 million, bucks, it's worth getting a bit of um, repetitive strain injury, isn't it? Another question that's very frequent these days, are computers smarter than humans? So who's smarter, you or your computer or your mobile device? You know, computers can take in a huge amount of information much faster than we can. They can perform calculations and conjure multiple scenarios at almost superhuman speeds. Computers learn much more quickly. They narrow complex choices to the most optimal ones. You know, humans also learn from mistakes, but we're far more fallible. Computers have got better memories. They can process large amounts of information instantaneously. They can calculate, analyze, and perform tasks tirelessly and continuously. They're not affected by emotions or feelings or wants or needs or colds or flus or hangovers or any other factors that can often cloud the judgment and intelligence of people. Humans perform tasks, make decisions, and solve problems based on not only our intelligence, but on our instincts and our common sense and our experience. Well, you know, most humans have got some form of creativity, imagination and inspiration. People can write a poem, they can compose and play music, they can sing a song, create a painting or dream up a new invention. Computers can't do that. Computers... Um, can do some of those things, but they don't possess the innate ability to create it the way that humans do. So intelligence has two components. One is the ability to learn. The other is the ability to solve problems. And in those areas, computers are smarter than humans. And with deep learning, Watson can solve a problem, for example, 
how to treat a rare form of cancer, and it is done so. So in that sense, computers can be much smarter than humans. Experts agree that computers of tomorrow will possess many traits that today are seen as uniquely human. Intelligence, creativity, common sense, knowledge, understanding of the world, those things. Complex neural networks will reach the complexity and sophistication of the human brain sooner rather than later. So rather than obsessing over who's smarter or irrationally fearing the technology, we need to remember that computers and machines are designed to improve our lives, just as IBM's Watson's helping us in the fight against deadly diseases. The important thing to keep in mind is that it is not man versus machine. It's not a competition. Computers and humans is a collaboration. One thing to remember, though, artificial intelligence is absolutely no match for natural stupidity of most people. <laughs> My guest today is David Spark, and David's a veteran tech journalist, and he's a founder of Spark Media Solutions. He's been the creative director, producer, voice, and face of many content marketing campaigns for a number of Fortune 1000 B2B tech companies. You'll know him when you see him. I'll be back with David on Voice America Business after this short break. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, this is where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people and also some of the most successful. We talk about what it is they do, what challenges they've faced, how they've overcome those challenges. Underneath it all, we try to find out what it is that actually makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business. The last figures I saw said that 95% of all businesses started today fail. So we all need to be doing what the 5% that succeed are doing. So that's why it's so important, as I stress every week, for you to surround yourself with mentors, not friends that'll say, yes, you're terrific, 
but people who have been there, done that, been successful, and can give you good practical advice. So get yourself mentors. And the other important thing is to listen to programs like this where um, people who are successful talk about why they're successful and what made them successful. Now, David Spark is a veteran tech journalist and founder of Spark Media Solutions. He's been the creative director, producer, voice and face of many content marketing campaigns for a number of Fortune 1000 B2B tech companies. And in the last 20 years, David and his articles appeared in just about everything. Um, 40 odd media outlets, E-Week, Wired News, PC World, ABC Radio, and on and on it goes. He's author of the book, Three Feet from Seven Figures, one-on-one engagement techniques to qualify more leads at trade, show, trade shows. Now, in addition to traditional media, David spent 10 years working in advertising at various agencies, the last being Publicist Dialogue, where he launched the company's new media division. Today, David blogs regularly on the Spark Minute and is a regular contributor to Forbes. You can listen to his weekly tech and media podcast, Teardown Show, and subscribe to his YouTube series, Content Marketing Tips. David's a noted speaker, an entertainer, and a moderator at tech and marketing events. He also offers training for moderating. Hi, David. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right around the world. Well, that was a fabulous introduction. Oh, Thank geez, I'm hot. Much. How much How much training do I need for moderating? Well, we don't know. We're, moderating involves more than two people talking together. Okay. But moderating <laughs> that uh, is involved in the process of having a panel of four or five people speaking. Right. Here's, here's my number one bugaboo regarding moderating. And we've all seen this, where you have like a 40-minute session, yep. and the panelist goes, well, let's just give a few minutes to each panelist to introduce themselves. 15 minutes later, now the panel starts. Incredibly irritating. Yes. Everyone's got a program. Nobody needs introductions. Just go. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Now, you spent 12 or more years working as a tour- touring stand-up comedian mm-hmm. and a comedy writer. Why did you give up working as a stand-up comedian for tech? Surely stand-up comedians, heaps and heaps of fun, and tech, maybe not so much. Well, there's two big reasons. One is I was pulling down, and get ready for this, Bob, pulling down a pretty sizable four-figure salary at the time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I know what – I was an entertainer for 20 years. I know what it's like. (laughs) And then the other other issue is – so if you were an entertainer, you will – you commiserate with this is for every job that looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. There's a lot of crap that kind of goes along with it. That's not a lot of fun. Yeah. And I was tired of that. And actually, you know, I'm able to, in the work that I do now, take everything that I learned in, um, uh, in comedy and I apply it to the work that I do now. So it is not a lost skill by any stretch. Yeah, no, that's true. I um, I was a performer for about, I don't know, 25 years or so. And now, um, as you probably know, I do a lot of speaking around the planet. And I just regard it as rock and roll without the music. You know, I go out there and do the, almost the same stuff that I used to do, except I talk it instead of sing it. 
Well, I'm impressed with anyone who can play music proficiently because I'm somebody who made attempts at yes. uh, being a musician with piano and clarinet and yes. failed miserably. And to me, when I watch a, a musician, it's like the equivalent of watching a magician. I have, just have no clue how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> now, I grew up in an era where we used to talk a lot about um, NLP and we used to say, uh, you know, 35 to 40% of the population is visual, 45 plus percent is auditory, the rest are kinesthetic. So if you, um, you know, not even not that long ago, probably 15 years ago, if you were circulating DVDs or videos or whatever they were then, I can't remember, um, you would only give videos to people who were visual because they're the only people who are going to watch it. Yet now there seems to be, well, there is, not seems to be, there is this enormous trend towards video. And yet the percentage of people who are visual hasn't changed. So why has video become such a huge thing now, irrespective of what the NLP characteristic is? Well, there's there's a bunch of rationales. The, the number one reason that there's, a desire to create more video. It's just the tools to create video have become totally sort of leveled and equalized. Sure. There's no one that doesn't have the opportunity to have video tools to them. There was a time there was a major cost barrier for yeah. that to happen, but that is, that's completely evaporated. And I truly believe that editing video is now becoming a core competency, like to the equivalent of, you know, people of you know, you're my generation who know how to use, you know, who learned on like Excel and Lotus Notes. That's sure. not something you, uh, not Lotus Notes, Lotus 1, 2, 3. Mm. That's not something that you uh, were originally trained on, but, but just because it was a skill that we all had to kind of learn. Mm. Now, even if you're not an accountant, we all kind of learned how to use a, a spreadsheet, a, a digital spreadsheet. Yeah. And I'm feeling that teens to 20-somethings and 30-somethings are all learning the very basics of video editing. And so now that everybody has even a rudimentary skill in it, uh, there's more desire to produce video. And like with anything, it's easy to produce garbage and it's hard to make it good. Yeah. So why is video so much more effective now with auditory and kinesthetic people? This is something that really interests me. It seems to be much more effective now than it used to be. Is that because it's shorter, it's tighter, the cuts are quicker, it's more dramatic? What What's the key to that? The key, I believe, that what makes video successful is triggering emotion. Mm-hmm. Emotion, which can be done in audio and can be done in text, it's not easy in any format. But it really is most compelling and can be most compelling and and easiest to go to, even though it's hard to do, within video. And if you can make someone laugh, if you can make someone cry or be angry even, these are all uh, emotions that trigger people to share content. I I strongly believe that... um, and, and, I, and I, I, I will uh, quote uh, Jim Lauderback, who is now the CEO of VidCon. Sure. Yep. And he says, the number one thing that gets people to share video online is triggering emotions. And, and a strong emotion, not a passive emotion, but a very yep. strong emotion. Yep. And that's what we, we're essentially going for, is trying to do that which you, 
you know, the same video, the content in text, you can do a lot more with it. Um, and you can also, because you have visuals, you can actually deliver more information in a shorter span of time. Sure, sure. Uh, for those listening that have a business, um, it's important to realize that uh, all decisions are initially made emotionally. Uh, it doesn't matter what the decision is, it's made emotionally and then you justify it rationally to make to make the final decision. But if you can get people in, initially say, yeah, I love that, then you're more likely to get the sale. So that's, that's what we're talking about with the emotion. Is, so is the primary objective to get your message across in the video or to trigger a viral explosion of it, or is it both? Well, I would, I would argue that it's both, but, you know, it's always the goal of the video. So, so much of what we do with uh, our B2B video stuff is to approach a really specific audience that is interested in a very specific technology. So I'm not shooting for the world, but I'm shooting for the people who actually care about this content. And I, here's the quick story I tell about sort of how compelling very specific information is. Um, I just purchased, or actually a year ago, I purchased a new uh, camera, a Sony A7S, which I love. In the process of um, creating or deciding to buy that camera, I watched a lot of videos on YouTube of people giving recommendations to that camera and another camera. And then, you know, once I decided on the camera, I found a place to buy it and, and I purchased it. Right. But then once I purchased the camera, there was a period of a week that went by before I received the camera. And so I just went on YouTube to train myself how to use this camera. And there were tons and tons of videos on how to use this camera. So when this absurdly complicated piece of technology arrived, I knew how to use it out of the box, which right. is unusual. That's really unusual to purchase a product, haven't received it, and yet be proficient in it to a level, because I hadn't touched it yet, yeah. but be proficient on the menus and what I can change to that level. In addition, if I had a specific problem, for example, there's an, um, a face recognition feature in this camera. I would do a search on face recognition feature, uh, Sony A7S, a dozen videos showing me just how to do that. Right. That's what amazes me. And by the way, it's not like those videos had a few hundred views. They had thousands of views each. Yes. So there is an extraordinary demand for very specific information out there. So, what are, are tech companies? What are tech companies um, trying to do with video? Is it essentially to sell product? Is it to create brand awareness, or, or not brand aware, brand equity, or is it to um, what's the principal purpose? Well, what they're trying to do is yes, is to try to create some kind of brand equity, to try to. Um, sell a specific product idea, usually sell the concept of the company, and also get some testimonials. So the, the, the two most common types of videos that we see out there are um, basic intro videos. This is company XYZ, and it's usually a, a, a series of stock footage with maybe some animation layered on top. And then customer testimonials of people in a studio just talking about what it's like to work with company XYZ. 
and they're extraordinarily dry. And the problem is companies just feel that's what we're supposed to do. And one of the things that we're trying to break our clients out of is get away from the thing that you think you're supposed to do and go more towards what do you think the audience wants. Yeah. And because that's where you're going to get consumption and care. The only thing that matters is the customer. So what um, – with all that clutter out there, everybody's out there creating videos, how do you cut through? What is it that allows you to cut through from the 10,000 other videos that are being put up every minute? Well, discoverability is very, very difficult, and I can't fully answer that. But I will tell you, now we have – because of the volume that's out there, there was a there was a time you could just create good content and it would, quote, get discovered – Yep. But unfortunately, that's not enough anymore, and you do have to pay for a level of distribution. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, that level, that payment is not that expensive through something like a Facebook or uh, YouTube. You can actually get reasonable distribution to a very targeted audience through that. I would also say that timing is critical as well, that if you are creating content that's specific and around an event or a news story, that you get it out quickly. Um, that will help in terms of distribution. Um, but I would also say the thing that does extraordinarily well is who is in your content. Is this person some kind of a celebrity to your industry that people care about? Or are you releasing a product announcement or solving a problem that is of great uh, desperate interest? Timing is also very key, like I mentioned, is putting this all together. And we do, a, you know, depending on what the need is, we do a mix of those different things. So you're saying that um, to gain maximum effect, you really need to have a recognisable face, whether irrespective of what sort of a celebrity it is, but you need a recognisable face and you also need to spend um, money to do it. And if that's true, what sort of a level of investment are you looking at? Well, getting a recognisable face architects a certain level of lift. So especially if you're getting a big celebrity, you can just pretty much guarantee if big celebrity is in this and that celebrity name gets enough search, they will find it. But there are also big celebrities within industries that have recognition. And I always say, you know, you really should push for that in general. Yeah. In terms of money, it can go the gamut. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I was just answering a, a question, a client. They were saying, well, why is you go the last time you did a project for us, it was. 10 videos and now it's only five videos, but it's more expensive. I don't understand why is it more expensive? And the reason is those were more complicated videos to produce, considerably more complicated. And we've done projects for clients where we've made a video for as little as $900 and a video for as much as 28,000. And there are others have gone into the six figures, no problem. Right. And so it's hard for me to answer that question because it's, uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, how long is a piece of string type thing. Um, so what sort, of invest, what sort of investment do you need on a Facebook or like? And what are the best um, vehicles? Look, it can go from zero up to a lot of money. I mean, honestly, you can turn your cell phone on and if you are in the right place at the right time, you turn the camera on and you're compelling. Heck. It could cost you nothing. You could throw, you know, do a selfie video with no graphics. It's just you were at the right time, right place, had the right information, and it's literally nothing. On the other side, you could create this extraordinarily expensive video, cost thirty, forty thousand dollars, that 
it's custom design, and the only way you're going to get people to see it is also spend money on advertising. Mm. So, again, I know you're kind of pushing for an answer there, but it's a tough, tough question to answer because it literally could be zero to thousands. Now, I was just um, thinking of if if I'm listening to this program and I'm, I've got a you know reasonable company, I've got 30 employees or 50 or something, and I think, well, you know, video is not a bad way to go. Um, so... But how much does it cost, and then how much so, have I got to me, spend on Facebook to get it out there? So let me answer it in also in a different way. Don't have unreasonable expectations because we're talking about a single video. Yep. No media empire was created on a single piece of content. And this is something I run into with clients all the time, that they have this expectation. Well, if we spend X dollars because they spend that kind of money in advertising, then we get should get some type of return on investment. But – Doing any kind of content marketing is actually accumulative, unlike traditional marketing. That is not accumulative in the same way. Yeah. And so you build an audience like you would, like this radio show for that matter. You didn't start all of a sudden with the audience that you have, but by building your brand, by interviewing well-known people or just people who have good thoughts and ideas and advice, you are building your reputation and your reputation is cumulative. This is the same thing with the video. If you just do one video, the only way you're going to get it seen is by spending a lot of money in advertising. But if you, say, spend, I don't know, $10,000 a month, I'm taking kind of a low number there, on some kind of video production type thing, and you're consistent about it, um, and again, that's an incredibly low number, but you can do something with $10,000 a month, um, then you consistent. You can actually build an audience based on that. But again, it's it's all it's all of what you want to do, and the effort and money you're looking to put put uh, forward to it. What's the what are the elements that make a corporate video um, memorable? I mean, something emotional. I will, I will tell you, it's all about real honest reactions and one of my number one complaints and this is something i just wrote about for forbes and i have a video about it that demonstrates an example is do not and this is my one huge piece of advice do not send the questions to an interview subject before the interview and the number one reason for this is you if you do that you have ruined the the final video product and here's my argument video requires so much level of sensitivity yep and that not just the words that are being said but that moment between when the question is asked and when the person answers and as they answer is extraordinarily compelling can be and if they don't know what it is to see those honest human reactions is extraordinarily powerful we do a lot of what is known as man on the street style videos where I just go up to a random person and ask them a question, usually at a trade show, uh, a simple question or a funny question or a thought provoking question. And sometimes before I turn the camera on, the people say, can you tell me the question first? And I always say, I just want to see your reaction on camera because right. that moment, and it literally is purely a moment, is so powerful in video and something that can't be translated in print or even audio. Yeah, I can see that. So what's the big missed opportunity that tech companies are missing with video? Where do most companies go wrong with video? 
Well, one is per something I said before earlier, which is they think they need to do a certain format of video, like the case study. Right. Um, the other issue I have found, there's two big things that I have found that companies are getting wrong with video. One is everything, and we're talking Fortune 100 companies I'm seeing this with. But I'm only, I've, by the way, I've been working on this report that's specifically uh, targeted at B2B tech companies yep. in particular. The companies that have billions in valuation, fortunes of money, and they have huge video crews, enormous video crews. For some bizarre reason, everything that they have spent millions on in terms of branding and web development. When it comes to, and presentation of that kind of presentation of that brand, it goes completely out the window when it comes to video. The biggest companies present their videos with inconsistent branding elements. When they post it up on the web, it does not have a consistent branding look, and it is not presented with any kind of consistent branding. That shocks me on belief, and I will tell you. That is 90 to 95% of all companies are doing this. It wow. is that shockingly high. Wow. Stunning high. The other issue, and this they just may not be aware of, is to do video right, and this is not even talking about the production, but more the presentation of it online, mm-hmm. whether it's through YouTube or any other platform, there are 50 to 100 variables to manage. And some of these variables are very small, like what do you title the video? And some are far more complex, but they don't realize that there are many, many strings to manage of this sort of marionette, if you will. And to do it successfully, you need to understand what those all are. And it's a it's a lot of dotting I's and crossing T's. And when you don't do it, it looks sloppy. It speaks poor of your brand. And when you do it well, it seems like you barely did anything like any branding effort it looks too easy right but there's a lot of work that went behind it so would you suggest that if you're a a small to medium business that you um, gain the um, um, continuity if you like by having some form of presenter i mean even if it's a, a somebody within the company but as long as they're you know not hopeless does that add authenticity and continuity, or is you just blowing your image? Well, no, I always think it's a good idea to have someone from the company to speak, be the voice of the company. That's always, I'm always speaking for my clients often, but like, for example, with one client just asked me for a project and said, can we, instead of you, can we put one of our people on camera? And I'm like, sure, of course. You know, that's not a problem at all. It's just, sure. I did it, no one stepped up. Um, yeah, let's. Let's do it up. Um, you know, the other thing is, you know, people need to be media trained. They need to know how to read teleprompter when when necessary. Uh, they need to be able to think quickly on their feet if they're interviewing people. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things, you know, and if they need to be trained, we'll, you know, we'll train them. That's the other thing that has to happen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a good idea. But the other issue is, and we're working on this ourselves, is you can't assume that when you start, it's going to be great. And here's... It, it, if I could sort of, in, in sort of, uh, provide one huge piece of advice, and that is, to make great videos, you have to create a lot of bad videos first. 
I know nobody wants to hear this, but that is the process. And I'm literally going through this myself with a with a branded series that we're working on. Is that while I didn't think they were bad, they're not nearly as good as what we're doing now. Yeah. And you have to go through that process of figuring it out and publish some stuff that isn't wonderful and perfect until you get the great stuff. Um, you know, the same thing's true with podcasting, for that matter. I mean, I'm sure when you first started out, those very first interviews weren't nearly as good as the most recent ones. Take some time to get your footing, if you will. Yeah. What's the ideal length of a corporate video? I know that's another how long's a piece of string, but um, in the main, is it better to be short and succinct, or what's the, what's the answer to that? So this is an extremely common argument that I get from my clients saying, well, it has to be very, very short because people don't have any attention span. So the, the stats actually show that longer videos get higher recommendations uh, within YouTube itself. People end up watching a video often, no matter what the length is, somewhere between 40 to 60% of the time. So if it's a 90 second video, or it's a 10 minute video, you will find that the stats are somewhere between that sort of 40, 45% to 60% of viewing time of it. Um, Honest to God, if it is compelling for 10 minutes, it will get a lot of views and it will get a long views. The other thing is, do you need them to watch the whole video to get the point across? Sometimes they don't need to watch it. And the other thing I would recommend is the, the huge advantage of YouTube is that it is the world's biggest platform for video and the second largest search engine. So you want your content there to be discoverable. But the yeah. major failure of YouTube is I have no clue who, who has watched it. So there are these other video pl- platforms, one called Vidyard, another one called Wistia. And yeah. the company that we're partnered with is called Brightcove. And what they do is they allow you to actually measure who's watching what content when and it can be interactive. So if you want to compel someone to download something or to watch another video, you can actually create a call to action that's clickable within the video content itself. And if you have a marketing automation platform, all that information can be transferred. And what's really, really powerful about that is in email marketing, all we can know is they open the email and they click the links. But with email marketing connected to video using one of these tools, I can know the depth of the interest. So Bob, if I sent out an email and I know that you watched two minutes of a three minute video and for the last five emails I sent out, you watched all the videos for at least two minutes. I know that you are, you have a high depth of interest in my content. And that means you're an extraordinarily warm lead. And what does that mean to your sales staff? It's everything. So that's what's extraordinarily powerful. So, does it matter? Does the length of the video, or, or does the type of product, or the nature of the business affect um, viewership of a of a video? And what I what I mean is, in the old days, you used to say that um, a product that's reasonably cheap keep your copy to an absolute minimum. But if you're trying to sell a Mercedes, for example, people want long copy. That used to be the case. Is that the similar sort of thing now that if you've got a, a complex product, um, then people want more detail and they want all that? Or is it still um, 
getting to them emotionally. So that's, that's a perfect example for using one of these video platforms, like I mentioned before, is it allows you both levels of it. So what you could do, say you were to create a 10-minute video, and the first minute of it is just, here's what the product is, here's what it does, boom. Right. And if you want to know, if you want to know the specifics of every single feature on this product, click here to watch nine more minutes of it. Well, that would be extraordinarily powerful to know. The people who just watched the minute and the people who chose to watch the further minute. These video platforms will let you do that. Now, the negative of this is by not being on YouTube, you're not being discovered through that search engine, that platform. But the advantage of you've got this ludicrously great measurement. So what you can do is you can throw some advertising dollars on this. You can send it through your own email marketing platform or through others for that matter, maybe by, you know, placement on that. So, you know, it all depends on what tools you're going to use and how you want to measure it and how you want to follow up. Because, you know, nobody out there is just creating video because they want to create video. They want to create video to sell their product. Sure. And so these are very powerful ways to get information about your audience through video that you can't through any other platform. So what are some simple fixes that any company can do right now for their, with their video? So the nut, two huge fixes, and I'm talking, these are, we're talking minutes. Right. This can, this can be fixes. One is go to your YouTube channel and look at it and say to yourself, does this show our company positively? If I were to just look at this one page, does this communicate who we are? Right. I will say for probably everybody who's listening, chances are it doesn't, unless they are themselves a big YouTube creator uh, for them. Yeah. First is, in YouTube, you have this spectacular banner at the top that is enormous that everybody sees. You'll be stunned the number of companies that just blow off the messaging that could be done in the banner. Redesign that banner to be specific about what this channel is and who you are. Then look at the, look at the, and these are already the videos you've already published. Yes, yeah, sure. The, uh, now look at all the videos you have. Do you feel that they are titled a enticing enough and specific enough to what the content is? Don't make things too general. That doesn't help. Uh, you know, retitle them. This can be done after the videos are made. Uh, third is, and this shockingly, almost no company does, and I'm, it blows my mind. These are companies with millions and millions of dollars. They don't do this. Is create custom thumbnails for your videos. Right. The title and the thumbnail is what sells people on actually clicking and watching the video. If there is no compelling title and thumbnail, or it's non-compelling, you're not going to get people to watch it. So take the time to recreate, to create custom thumbnails for all your videos. So when I come to your site, I see a banner that immediately explains, immediately explains what you're doing. I see titles of videos that are very enticing. And then the visual of the whole page with the custom thumbnails is pleasing. And I'm compelled to start looking at the videos. Right. That is not costly. And that can be done after video has been produced. David, we've run out of time, unfortunately. So thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You can reach thank you da- very much. It's a pleasure. You can reach David at Spark 
MediaSolutions.com. That's Spark, S-P-A-R-K, MediaSolutions.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week we're broadcasting from the beautiful Sydney Harbour in Australia. I'm sitting here looking out the window at uh, Sydney Harbour. It's absolutely gorgeous today. It's a bit of an overcast day, but it's lovely. A question I think a lot of us ask is, are our Facebook messages really private? You know, there's over a billion people communicate through Facebook Messenger every single day, a billion. And while Facebook says it takes measures to keep users' information private, Just how secure are those billions of messages? We see hacks. Almost every day there's a new hack. So can somebody get into or even look at and follow your Facebook messages? I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that have got Facebook messages that they really don't want everybody to read. Via CCAR of Scilab, at Carnegie Mellon University and a professor of electrical and computer engineering, he he broke down how someone might still find ways around it. Facebook Messenger feature and app already include a fair amount of security, as you can imagine. But according to Facebook, Messenger uses the same secure communications protocols as banks and shopping sites. The company also says that it uses additional protection to stop spam and malware. Now, in 2016, they added an additional security feature called Secret Conversations. Don't you love that? Which offers an encryption enhancement similar to default features from messaging apps WhatsApp, which incidentally Facebook also owns, and Signal. The messages the messages are end-to-end encrypted, which means not even Facebook can access them, supposedly. However, while these encryption options are on by default in apps like WhatsApp and Signal, users must must choose to activate encryption on Facebook Messenger. It's important to note that, you know, anything can be hacked. Sometimes no amount of back-end security will stop someone from accessing your messages if they decide to do so by physically accessing the device that they're on. You know, we know how easy it is to access most devices these days. And if someone is able to access your device besides simply glancing at your messages, they may also be able to install a, 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 a hidden spy app, for example, that continue to ac- access information in the background of your phone or computer. It's also possible for hackers to target a user's Facebook password by using password cracking tools 
or exploiting the ability to reset a password and then use that to sign into your Facebook account. There's often enough someone can see on a public profile that gives enough information to crack a password. Hackers can also download the Fake Act app that can mimic Facebook or Messenger's interface, which may also be used to prompt a user to put in information like a password that can be used by someone else. So since a major route around Facebook protections involves gaining access to a person's phone, one way that you can help ensure your messages won't be read is keeping your device secure. Make sure there's a password on your device and that it isn't left unlocked to prevent people from gaining access in the first place. Making sure passwords use information that isn't public available and using different passwords for different accounts will also help make it harder for people to get into your account. Okay, remember, I'm sitting here just watching boats bob up and down on Sydney Harbour. It's absolutely beautiful. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary, right? You don't want, you want to be different than everybody else. So it's better to aim for the stars and miss than it is to aim for the gutter and succeed. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be. So I hope you have a sensational week and I look forward to you joining me again next Tuesday when I'll again be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in California where technology meets entertainment. In the meanwhile, please continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.